Good morning, Venture. It's great to see you today. Those of you who are here in the room, I love seeing your smiling faces today. Those of you who are joining us online, I'm so grateful that you're with us, that you chose to worship with us today. Hey, I want to piggyback off of something you just heard Robin say. Worship on the lawn. If you're joining us online, maybe you missed the applause that happened in the room. That was so much fun last year. And uh, it felt like old-timey, like nostalgic camp meeting kind of a thing. It felt authentic and real. It was awesome. We built a platform out here on the south lawn of our church property. And uh, yeah, mark your calendars. The fourth Sunday of May, June, and July. So let me dare you. Some of you, you're online right now, and you've been asking the question, hey, when are we coming back to church? When's the right time? Listen, outside, that worship on the lawn is going to be the right time to start coming back to church in the building. The 23rd of May, mark your calendars. I hope to see you there then. It's going to be fun. We're prepping. There's going to be food trucks and all kinds of fun stuff. It's going to be great. Don't miss it. Okay. So uh, welcome to week four of our Family Matters series. We're talking about matters of the family. We've been saying this each week because families matter. Last week. Last week, it was all about the, the idea that marriages matter. They do. If you were here last week, perhaps you remember I was wearing uh, one of those aprons on the platform up here and mixing up some ingredients for a healthy marriage. We made chocolate chip cookies. You need to know I'm a tightwad. So that was like a sermon illustration, and at the end of the day, I had two kind of lumpy bowls full of, I don't know what they were, but I thought, we need to redeem this. I'm going to cook cookies for the staff this last week. So Monday morning, found me in here trying to figure out, it was a math problem, I had to multiply it by two because I was like doubling the recipe, and then I'm trying to remember how much flour did I dump in at 9 a.m., how much did I dump in at 11 o'clock. If you were here last week, baking soda represented Jesus. Can I just say this? There was too much Jesus in the recipe. <laughs> Those cookies were not delicious, but the staff, we ate them anyway. They were good sports, good troopers. By the way, it's not too late to sign up for Grace Marriage. That was the highly practical next step coming out of that sermon. Some of you came to the info meeting. Some of you have already signed up online. Listen, you need to know that Mark and Sally Groff, you met them last week. They talked about their marriage. They talked about this cool ministry. And uh, Sally is a pro in the area. She's got all kinds of clients that come to her and uh, talk through marriage kind of stuff. She's opening this up to the wider community. So we wanted to give the first shot to venture. That's you. If you have not yet signed up for that, I hope you don't miss out. We want you to do that. You can hit, if you're joining us online, hit this, venturechristian.church slash marriage if you're in the room. Run, don't walk when the service is done. Go outside. You can sign up for Grace Marriage out here in the lobby. This week, we're talking all about money matters. Last week, we left you with a highly practical next step, what to do to grow your marriage. Today, we want to leave you with a highly practical next step you can do to grow in your area of family finances. And to think through the, the lens of generations, how do we leave a, leave a legacy of faith even through how we handle God's money in our lives? We're talking about money today in the church. So before we go any further, I want you to turn to your neighbor, whoever you're sitting next to. If you're online, maybe turn to whoever's sitting next to you on the couch. I want you to look deeply in their eyes. I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to say this out loud. Money is just a tool. Do that. Turn to each other. Say that out loud. Money is just a tool. Money is just a tool. Listen, I, I've got tools in my garage. Uh, some of them, you plug them in. They're power tools. Here's the deal. 
if I'm not careful with my table saw, if I don't treat it with the respect that it deserves, because there's power in that thing, next week I'll be greeting you like this, right? There's power in those things. Money is just a tool, but we have to know the tool. We have to be oh so careful. Today, the message is in two parts. The first part of the sermon, we're going to take a moment in the middle, we're going to respond through worship. But for the first part, we're talking about, well, we're going to define our relationship to money. Sneak peek, I'll give you a hint. It's all about stewardship. I'll explain that here in just a minute. Then after that, a time of worship, I'm going to come back up and do a second part of the sermon. We're going to get real practical on how to manage money. This is how to be a wise steward. But before we dive into that, I first want to give you a caution. Remember, money is just a tool. We have to be careful. The Bible talks an awful lot about money. We're going to talk about how much it talks here in just a moment. But open your Bibles. If you've got your Bible with you, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's set the tone today with a bit of a caution regarding this tool that God wants us to manage. If anyone... If anyone teaches false doctrines, Paul comes out swinging here as he's talking to Timothy. Anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He keeps going. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth, you get the tone here, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Let that soak in. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take, can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. By the way, Paul's talking about money in church right here, right? Eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Listen, before we go any further, can we, can we just simply pause? Can we pray? Can we invite God to lead the rest of this conversation? Would you bow your heads with me? God, we take a deep breath because um, we're talking about money. And I know this is one of those topics that we can just kind of switch a switch in our brain. So, Lord, I pray that you you lead this conversation. Lord, I pray that you speak through your word. We're open hands. We're open hearts. We're open minds. Instruct us. Challenge us. Lead us through your word today. It's in your name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here are the challenges. Straight out of scripture. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Here are some cautions. Number one, genuine com commitment can happen without money. Genuine commitment can happen without money. Did you catch that phrase? But godliness with contentment is great gain. This can happen without money. If, uh, I, I love this quote that I found not long ago. This is Adrian Rogers. He said this, We need to add up everything that we own that money cannot buy and death cannot take away and praise God for that. Stop and think about that in your life right now. What do you have that... Uh, well, that can't be taken away. Praise God for that. Place that in a high place in your life, maybe even over money. Here's another challenge, another caution. The loss of money is inevitable. 
It is. And I'm not talking about the stock market crashing. I'm not talking about your 401k going down. I'm not necessarily talking about you losing your job. Did you catch that in what we just read? We brought nothing into the world, and it's certain that we carry nothing out. There's no luggage rack on a hearse. Here's another caution. The love of money is dangerous. The love of money. Notice it doesn't say that money is dangerous. Remember, money is just a tool. But the love of money, this is where the tool can bite you, right? The theme continues that we're reading here just a few verses down in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. Check this out. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. As we think about generations, family matters. This is so important, important to internalize this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, may take hold of the life that is truly life. Write this down. Here's a caution. The luxury of money brings responsibility. It does. The poorest among us in this space by world standards we're wealthy. We have a responsibility. So let's talk about God's financial plan. I've discovered through the years that as soon as a pastor starts talking about money, people get a little bit nervous. I got to be honest with you, I do too. I grew up in the 80s and the televangelist scandals, and whenever I hear a pastor start talking about money, I get a little bit nervous as well. But it's so important that we talk about money. Hear me. I don't want anything from you today. This is not some kind of a ploy to get you to give more. I don't want anything from you. Rather, I want something for you. Thinking through a generational lens of healthy family dynamics, I want you to understand God's principles for our managing, get this, his money. In Christian circles, we call this, this is a fancy word, stewardship. What's stewardship? Well, stewardship is simply managing another person's property. If you have a rental property and you want me to take care of it for you, I'm a steward of your property. I'm a steward of everything that God has given me, which is considerable. We have to understand, first of all, that God, he owns it all, everything you have. First Chronicles chapter 29 says this, everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Think about your house. Think about your car. Think about your 401k. Do you live life through that lens? We adore you as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone, and you're the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might, and it is at your discretion that men are made great and given strength. God has given you everything, not just 10%, but your whole life is his. Stewardship involves so much more than your money and material goods, your talents, your abilities, your skills, your experiences, your energy, your time, your strength, your spiritual gifts, your creative ideas. I could go on and on. These can all be placed, though, in three primary areas of our life that we want to be responsible as stewards over or to manage. Here's the first one, time. He wants you to steward your time. You're given a certain amount whether it's 10 years or 100 years, Psalm 90 says it this way in verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Another area that we manage, that we're stewards of, that God has given us, is our talents. God has blessed each one of us 
with some abilities, some gifts, some things that we bring as an opportunity to serve God's kingdom. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says it this way, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The third area of our lives that we're held accountable for, this is our treasures. And it's important we talk about this today because God has given each one of us a certain amount of treasure. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're taking notes, write this down. Notice this, that your heart follows your treasure. Your treasures don't follow your heart. Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart goes. This is why it's so important to invest in God's kingdom. Because when we put our treasure there, our heart comes along behind that. When we talk about treasure, let's divide this into the three basic categories that belong for treasure. This is earning, this is giving, and this is saving. We're going to talk more about those at the end of our time today. But God has an ideal plan what you are to do with his money. And we need to discover what he teaches about stewardship. It's necessary and it's scriptural to talk about money in the church. We're learning from this Family Matters series that there's all kinds of helpful information in the Bible about how to live your life as a legacy, thinking generationally of your family. The Bible has so much to say about so many important aspects of our life. If you were to total up all of the verses in the Bible that talk about some of these specific things like this, prayer and faith. There are over 500 verses that talk about your prayer life and your faith. The Bible has a lot to say about heaven and hell. If you total all those up, you're looking at north of 450 verses about those two very important topics. But the Bible, God's Word, our manual for life, get this, it has over 2,350 verses in it about how to handle money and possessions. 2,350 by the way, last week in this Marriage Matters series, or Family Matters series, we talked about marriage matters, and we looked at a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs. Check this out. The book of Proverbs talks an awful lot about men's passions. And if you look in the book, just the book of Proverbs alone, there are 112 verses that talk about men's passion for women. This is why it's important to talk about this, and we did that last week. But guess how many verses are in the book of Proverbs? Just the book of Proverbs alone that talk about men's passion, whether it's healthy or unhealthy, about money. 69 of them. Just one book alone. God talks all throughout his Bible about money and possessions, about how it's a tool for us to use for him. So why did Jesus have so much to say about money and possessions? If you're taking notes, there's three possible reasons here. Number one. How we handle our money impacts our daily life with God. How we handle our money as stewards that he's entrusted us to take care of, it impacts our daily life with God. In Luke chapter 6, we read this, if you're not faithful in the use of worldly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Look at that verse. Are you faithful with what he's already given you? Do you want to raise well, are you faithful with the money he's already entrusted with you? Maybe you dream about being a better singer like the folks up here on the platform or a speaker or a teacher. Or I don't know, whatever you want to do. Well, what have you already done with the voice and the mind and the heart that God has given you to use for him? 
You want to be healthy, maybe, and you want to live to 90 years old. Well, what have you done with the 30 years or so that God has already given you? You're called to invest it well for him. If you're not being faithful with what he's given you so far, well, why, why would he entrust you with more? This is clearly illustrated all through the Bible, but we could point to a parable in Matthew chapter 25 where they're talking about money and time and treasure and talent and what do we do with these things. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Scripture is very clear. How we faithfully handle money opens up opportunities to have a more intimate relationship with God. Here's why. Because throughout Scripture, money is used as an outward indicator of an inward condition. Just like a mama would use a thermometer to gauge the internal temperature of her child, which is a symptom of sickness, God gauges the heart by how we handle our money. I would point to Zacchaeus as an example of this. In Luke chapter 19, check this out, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. This is a radical conversion we're seeing right here. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Today, there's a generational cycle of greed that has been broken. Today, your family tree blooms with fruit for Jesus. This fundamental biblical truth, you know, this impacts how we live our daily life with God. If you contrast that with the rich, young ruler's spiritual condition, this is his unwillingness to depart with money. Check this out. This is in uh, Luke chapter 18. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then, then, only then, come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Remember, money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. He looked at Jesus and he said, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. The second reason why Jesus spoke so much about money and possessions is this, money competes with Jesus for who's the boss of our lives. Jesus tells us we can only serve one of these two masters. Matthew chapter 6 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When the Crusaders were fighting in the 12th century, many of them were mercenaries for hire. I've seen this in the Holy Land. There was a thing called a Knight of the Holy Sepulchre. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, that was built on the location uh, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And during this black uh, eye on Christian history, during the Crusades, you would spend the night in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you would ride your horse through the front door in the morning, and then graffiti, you would carve a cross in the marble column right outside the front door. You can still see those to this day. Well, some of these guys were like mercenaries for hire, but they would, it was a holy war, right? So they would baptize them into the cause. It's said of those guys that oftentimes they would be baptized in the water, and they would hold their sword up out of the water so it didn't go underneath the water. In other words, saying, well, you have my body for the fight, but you don't have my sword. Not lordship. I'm not placing it all under Jesus' control. I wonder, do some Christians hold their wallets or their purses up out of the water metaphorically while being baptized? In effect, saying, you've got it all, God, but this area of my life. 
Some of us are serving money. We don't even know it. It's called materialism. I like this definition of materialism. This is a preoccupation with or stress over material rather than intellectual or spiritual things. There's a sober warning against materialism all through the Bible. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 12. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We must understand that materialism is not simply wrong. It's foolish as well. It's not just wrong, it's foolish. It affects our legacy. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, what good is it for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Materialism is this lie that Satan whispers in your ear. If only you had this thing or this thing, then, then you'll be happy. So long as we live by this lie, we're practicing materialism. The third reason why Jesus had so much to say about money is because he knew that so much of life revolves around the use of money. We deal with it all the time. Did you know that the average American spends more than 80% of their waking day earning money in their job, making decisions about how they spend their money, and thinking about where to save and invest money? 80% of your time. First time I heard that stat, I was like, ah, I don't know if I buy that. And then I started doing the math and thinking about it. I think it's true. Uh, there's a passage that I find myself thinking about often. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's talking about the end of time, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body today, tomorrow, last week, whether good or bad. This word here, appear. This word means a whole lot more than just show up. It has this idea that we will be revealed for what we did or what we didn't do. And when I think about this through the lens of how I spend God's money, how I invest or don't into God's kingdom, I picture this scenario kind of like a movie reel of my life being played before the Lord. I don't want to have regrets in this area. I want to do this well. And I want to leave a legacy of faith, a financial legacy of faith, that we have given it all to God. He owns it all anyway. By the way, it's not too late to edit your video that will be played. It's not too late to change your life movie when you combat materialism. It's owning the truth that it's all his. You and I, we recognize we're just stewards. The story of the widow's might will support that. Years ago, I had left the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I just talked about that in ancient Israel, in Jerusalem. And I'd walked down the hill to a place called the Pool of Siloam. They just uncovered this in 2004. I got to be there just a few years after that. And it had been a live archaeological dig. This is talked about, this pool is talked about in the New Testament. They just found it in 2004. And they found all kinds of stuff as they were disturbing the earth, including a bunch of things that in the ancient world would have been considered pennies. A guy comes up to me. He said, I've got a whole bunch of these. These were uncovered during the time. I would like to sell you one. And I bought it for like 20 bucks maybe. I thought it was cool. It's called a widow's mite. I asked uh, the scholar that was with us later, is there any chance that this is real? I'm assuming this is a fake. He said, well, it might be. But they were prolific. He said, it might be real. They were everywhere. We find them all the time because they're like a penny. They were everywhere in the ancient world. 
There's a lady in the temple just up the hill. She's coming to worship God. She's giving her offering. And it says this, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. I want to show you real quick. We can put it up on the screen, guys. I've got a couple of pictures here. That's a widow's mite you're looking at right there. And the next picture, let me show you this. During the pandemic, I made a desk for my office. And I embedded that widow's mite there into this desk so that when I'm standing there and I'm working, that's a reminder to me to give it all. That God owns not just what I throw in the offering plate, but it's all his. Pun intended, I want to leave it all on the table. Right now, we're going to pause. We're going to take a moment to reflect and worship, to literally give it all before our God. And I invite you to join us, giving it all to God, responding in worship. Before we get practical, let's do that right now. Would you stand up with me? Jesus, we are uh, eternally grateful that you, you gave it all. And so we say thank you. And God, as we continue our thoughts about finances, Lord, we, we don't do this through a lens of duty. We do this as an act of worship, to worship you, God, with our whole lives. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. With the rest of the time that we have today, I want to get, if I can, extremely practical. I read a quote this past week, and it kind of fascinates me. Robert Foster said this, the man who concentrates on the root system of his life is going to bear fruit upward. But if he concentrates on the eye appealing foliage, he may end up with a rootless, or he may end up a rootless failure. Remember, we said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. As you think now about your family, remember family matters. Think generationally. Think about the root system that you're investing in right now during this lifetime. And think about the legacy of faith that you desire to leave behind and bear a tree that bears much fruit, even for generations to come. Do you want to leave your kids with good money sense? Let me challenge you toward that end today. Statistically, 80% of Christian families don't realize that they're financially sick and they need a cure. We all need biblical financial wisdom, no matter what condition we're in. But many of us, matter of fact, most of us are really sick. Get this, six out of every 10 families are living paycheck to paycheck. That's actually a fairly recent stat. 2019, I pulled that from Charles Schwab's Modern Wealth Index survey, which said 59% of adults in the U.S. admit to living paycheck to paycheck. Almost half, 44%, have credit card debt, and only 38% have an emergency fund, some money stashed away because life happens, right? Emergencies happen. 
the light popped on in my truck this past week, and I realized I keep putting air in one of my back tires. I got to looking a little closer and realized I need a new tire. And then I, start, I circled the whole truck and realized I need four new tires. An emergency fund that they define uh, here in this survey is 400 bucks of cash on equivalent. Guess what? It's going to take me more than 400 bucks to replace all four tires on my truck. Nobody's talking about this. Consider that 88% of the population has more debts than they have assets. In other words, they owe more money than they are worth. In 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money play a prominent role. In 56% of divorce cases, money was the primary reason for the divorce. We talked about marriage last week. Our families need biblical financial wisdom. In 1980, when I was a kindergartner, the national debt of our country, consumer debt rather, was $1.3 trillion. 1980, my kindergarten year. Now, I just looked it up a couple days ago, it's $14.56 trillion. The population of the U.S. is just over 328 million people. I did the math. That means to pay off credit card debt. It would cost every man, woman, and child in America $44,390 each. This is just consumer debt. Eating out last month. The TV, the new one that we financed. The easy monthly payments that we agreed to. That's all this is. Scripture's perspective on debt is clear. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 13, verse 8. I've got a whole bunch of different translations here. They basically all say the same thing. Oh, no person anything. You shouldn't have debt. It's pretty clear, don't you think? Well, why is it so important to stay out of debt? Let me hit you with three reasons real quick. Number one, debt is slavery. It's slavery through a biblical lens. Proverbs 22, verse 7, this is what the Lord warns about debt, just, just as the rich rule the poor. So the borrower is slave to the lender. When we're in debt, hmm, we're a slave to the person that's loaned us the money. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Number two, Debt was considered in the Bible a curse. I don't have time to read all of that to you right now, but if you were to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, read the whole chapter this afternoon, you'll discover that on the edge of the promised land, God's people, as they're walking in, God says this, basically, if you stay out of debt, there's a blessing to the people around you. But if you borrow from them, it's kind of like you're living underneath a curse. Debt was considered a curse. Doesn't it feel like that? When you come to the end of the month and there's more uh, bill than there is money in your checking account to cover that. Number three, debt steals from tomorrow. When we get into debt, we assume that we're going to earn enough money in the future to pay off that debt. We fall for the lie that it's easy monthly payments. Well, Scripture warns against this. It cautions us. James chapter 4, look what he has to say. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we shall do, go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. Debt steals from tomorrow. 
I'm going to leave you with just a bit of advice to apply to your finances. I'm going to challenge you to come to a class, an experience here in just a moment. But beyond that, I would challenge you with this. At a minimum, live on less than 80% of your income. Give away at least 10% and save at least 10%. Malachi chapter 3 says it this way. Bring the whole tithe, 10% into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open uh, for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Other places in Scripture it says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus even quoted that verse. As far as I can tell, though, this is the only place in Scripture where God says, test me in this. If you live according to the biblical principles of stewardship and finances that I'm giving you to live under, I'm going to pour out blessing. Just test me and see if that's true. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, live on 80%? You're crazy. I can't even live on 100% of my income. That's true because here's the thing. Most Americans live on 104% of their income. If you do the math, that doesn't add up, right? That's why there's so much debt. God understands this, and he promises to provide for you. If you'll step out in faith and you just give it all to him, it's his anyway. Remember principle number one, he owns it all. He's letting you use a portion of it for a time. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This is what we want for you. This is God's desire for you, God's desire for me, that you take hold of life that's life indeed. We need to get back to wise biblical financial stewardship. We're going to take a, an in-depth study. We're going to launch an opportunity that's coming up here in just a few weeks. I talked about this at the beginning of the sermon. Have you heard of Dave Ramsey before? I love this guy. He's a radio personality larger than life. One of my boys uh, loves Dave Ramsey. I listen to a lot of, in his mind, boring podcasts and boring books on tape. But if we go on a road trip, he's quick from the back. Dad, would you put on Dave Ramsey? I've got the podcast on my phone, and we listen to it. He's full of all these witty, like, um, axioms, sayings, things like this. He says this, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. I kind of like that one. He says this, and I love this, if you live like no one else, later you can live and give like no one else. That's just good old-fashioned common sense. How about this one? Act your wage. Isn't that good? How about this one? A budget is people telling their money where to go instead of wondering where it went. How about this one? You must gain control over your money or the lack of it will forever control you. I want to challenge you to jump into this study. If something today has created an itch, you think, yeah, generationally, I want to do better in this area than I'm doing right now. We all have an action step to take there, and I want to challenge you to sign up for this class. Run, don't walk outside to sign up for this. I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to discover there's seven baby steps. It's just good old-fashioned financial sense, and basically you start step one by saving a thousand bucks, and at the end of the steps, you're building wealth and you're giving, and in the middle, you're paying off all your debt. You're saving an, a bigger emergency fund of three to six months. You're 
investing for your retirement, you're saving for your kids' college, you're paying off your house. What this class provides is information, uh, but more than that, it's accountability. It's a challenge. It's an encouragement that you, in fact, can't, or you can do this. I want you to watch this and just kind of see if God stirs you that you should sign up for this class. Check this out. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? You work too hard to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it! I'm not going to live like this anymore! I love it. Would you stand up with me right now? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? I love that line. Regardless of where you are in your financial stewardship strategy, all of us can use at least a refresher course. Some of us need emergency intervention, and there's no shame in admitting that and taking an action step toward that end. So I'm going to pray here in a moment. After I do, we're going to head that direction. If you want to just kind of take a right around the corner, we've got a cart set up there for Financial Peace University. You can get more information about that. You can sign up today. If you're joining us online, if you hit the website, venturechristian.church slash FPU, you can find out everything you need to find there, take an action step, and sign up. It'll cost you a little something, but again, anything worthwhile is worth investing in. I challenge you, no, 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 I dare you. As you think financially, as you think about your family tree, I dare you to invest in this strategy. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can cut, and it can divide, and it can challenge, it can encourage. Lord, in this area, we want to live well before you. Again, not out of an act of, of duty necessarily, but as an act of worship, living our lives, our whole lives before you, our God, our creator. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Venture. Have a great week. We'll see you back again next weekend.